Hello there. My name is Jamin Melanson, and welcome to my podcast entitled Reclaimed. Over the next several weeks, you will learn about how I have been reclaimed by God, and still am being reclaimed. My hope, however, is not that you will only learn about me, but you'll also learn about yourself. I'll be using personal stories and biblical stories to relate different truths about being reclaimed as we focus on learning humility, integrity, loyalty, and tranquility in our walk with Jesus. So grab your favorite beverage, something to munch on, and join me as we embark on this journey of being reclaimed. Part 4. Reclaimed Through Tranquility Tranquility is a state of the mind desired by the soul to calm the spirit and make the body free from stress. Stephen Redhead Chapter 15 A Beautiful Promise Some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. I don't agree at all. They are afflictions, not sins. Like all afflictions they are, if we can so take them, are sharing the passion of Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer. I hate throwing up, and I really don't know anyone who actually enjoys it, but I hate it even more when I don't know why I'm throwing up. February 18th, 2018 will always be a date that will stick in my memory. My wife's birthday was the day before, and I preached that morning at church. Afterwards, we went to lunch with two other couples. I ordered breakfast, and while I was munching down on my scrambled eggs, bacon, and hash browns, I noticed a strange physical pain developing in my stomach. I thought it was just some indigestion, so I took some pills when I got home, but the pain kept getting worse. That evening, while Naomi was at work, I had some of the teen boys over for a guy's night, and I still wasn't feeling very well. I drank some ginger ale, hoping it would calm down my stomach. It didn't. We were playing the board game of life, and unfortunately I never finished my life. I went upstairs and started getting sick. I told the teens to finish up their game before leaving, and I left to go to bed. I didn't tell them what was going on, just said I wasn't feeling the best. That was an understatement. I was up all night throwing up. Come morning, I was super exhausted and spent most of the day asleep in bed. I tried eating to regain some energy, and what I did eat did stay down, but I was too weak to even lift up a spoon. Monday evening, Naomi was working another night shift, and I decided to try and get out of bed. I sat down in my chair and turned on my Xbox. I figured a video game might help me wake up and keep my attention. It didn't. I was drifting in and out of sleep, and though I wasn't getting sick, my stomach was still in pain. I decided to visit the hospital may be necessary if I still wasn't feeling well come morning. I probably should have already gone, but I hate going to the hospital. Our community care pastor heard about my ailment and called me up. She told me to be ready. She was on her way to pick me up and bring me to the hospital herself. I took this as God overruling my stubbornness. After four hours in the ER waiting room, because you know, gotta love those Canadian hospital wait times, you can kind of see why I was hesitant to come. But once I was in, they took some x-rays and started pumping me with fluids from an IV. They didn't know what was wrong with me, but scheduled a CT scan for the next day. 
I went home and slept well. Come Tuesday morning, I was feeling a bit better. Still tired. Not as much pain, though. I was also super hungry, but I wasn't allowed to eat. We arrived at the hospital at 8 a.m. and waited until 2 p.m. for my CT scan, and then found out around 4 p.m. that I was dealing with pancreatitis. They admitted me into the hospital and put me on an IV and ice chip diet, which does not sound as good as it may seem to be. Though, it may be a good weight loss, but I also wouldn't advise you in that. You don't get a lot of energy from ice chips. Anyways, that night I had to sleep on a bed in the hall because all the rooms were taken. There were others out there too, and one of them was an older lady whose son brought her wings. You know, chicken wings? Have I ever mentioned how much I love wings? No? Okay, I love chicken wings. So this was torture. She was literally right behind me, eating chicken wings. And here I was, munching on ice chips. (sighs) Anyways, the next day, Wednesday, I was put into a room. And for those of you who don't know, pancreatitis is usually brought on by drinking too much alcohol, gallstones, high triglycerides, or can even be hereditary. I don't drink. They scanned my gallbladder and it was good. My triglycerides were 3 and normals around 2, so they weren't that high. My dad did have pancreatitis back in 2015, so maybe hereditary? But basically they didn't really know what was going on. On Thursday I was allowed to drink liquids, and on Friday I was allowed to eat, and because all the food stayed down, I was able to finally go home on Friday afternoon. I had an an hour-long shower, and I do not feel guilty about that because it felt amazing after being in the hospital for three and a half days. But every little pain in my stomach over the next few months drove me insane. It could have been a pain from a tired muscle due to working out, or I was hungry because I wasn't eating as much. There were times I'd poke myself with a finger trying to see if the physical pain was the same. And my anxiety got so bad that I'd put muscle relaxing cream on my stomach once or twice a day to prove myself it wasn't pancreatic pain. My wife absolutely adored the smell, by the way. Not really. That was sarcasm. As time continued, I started getting this heaviness in my stomach that wouldn't disappear. It was constantly there. I'd eat and expect to get sick immediately afterwards. In turn, I was fairly emotional during this time. I'd randomly break down and cry for no apparent reason at all. There was one time I actually threw up, but it was all in my mind. I literally could stop myself from getting sick. But before, there was no control. And so all the evidence pointed to, me, pointed to me not being sick, yet I was convinced something was wrong with me. I went to the hospital in early June, they did all the tests and everything came back normal. I'm like, how can this be? I remember, thinking to myself. And then the doctor asked me, are you anxious about anything? I responded with a clear yes and I explained the situation. He told me my heaviness in my stomach was likely a result of my anxious thoughts. In fact, he told me that one of every three pains you feel in your stomach are likely related to anxiety. When I went home and I started to pray, I handed over my anxiety to God. I was following the instructions of 1 Peter 5, 6-7, which says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The following Sunday, in the way home from a youth retreat, we stopped in at a church and the pastor spoke about handing over your anxiety to God. It was exactly what I needed to hear. It was the beginning of God reclaiming me through tranquility with my anxiety.
The Rise of Anxious Thoughts Like depression, we don't talk much about anxiety in the church. Let me rephrase that. We don't talk about it much with adults. When I worked with the youth, we talked about it almost daily. And I will say over the past couple years, we are getting better at discussing it, but there is still room for improvement. Here are some statistics taken from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America website. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk factors including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. Via the official website of Canada, it says there's an estimated 3 million adult Canadians, which is 11.6%, reported having anxiety in 2013. In the fall of 2020, this number was up to 13%. In the spring of 2021, the number jumped up to 15%. Like with depression, these numbers are likely higher due to those who aren't honest with themselves or don't report having anxiety. I'm not going to dig a lot into these statistics. You can go to the websites and look at them if you want. But at first glance, the term disorder is unsettling. And it's likely why we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think that there's something wrong with us. The Collins Dictionary defines disorder as a problem or illness which affects someone's mind or body. While I agree with the definition in theory, I don't like referring to anxiety and depression solely in those terms. Anxiety and depression are not abnormal because they are mental problems. They are abnormal because they are a result of the fallen world of sin we live in. They were not part of God's original plan for humanity, nor are they part of his plan when everything will be made new. Like C.S. Lewis once said, they are afflictions we must deal with this in this life. To be perfectly honest, it's more normal for us to deal with anxiety and depression than not. Some deal with it on different levels, and there is medication for that, but it is there at some level in all of our lives. Think about it. There are many things we are anxious about nowadays. COVID-19, our health, money, future, school. You wonder, did you turn off the oven? Well, did you? Our self-image, our societal image, conflict, social media, relationships, sports, entertainment, whether that piece of meat you just ate was fully cooked or not, vehicles, house, prayer, church, And I know prayer seems like a weird one, but think of it more like this. Five different people message you to pray about five different things, and as you pray, five more people message and ask for prayer. It can feel a little overwhelming and you feel anxious because you don't want to forget about praying for someone or something. I'm sure you can add more to this list. And now I was a little bit anxious that I forgot something super obvious that should be on there, so I hope you forgive me. But I want to highlight a couple of these before talking about the most obvious culprit lately in our world. In the previous chapter, I talked about how social media can lead to depression. It can also lead to anxiety. You don't get as many likes or views as one of your friends, and so you start feeling anxious about how people see you or what they may say behind your back. You scroll through your feed because you're afraid of missing out on something that someone else may be doing. 
Someone invites you to the group about their business and you accept because you want to support them, but now you're anxious about how you can support them with everything else you have going on in your life. And then there's entertainment anxiety. I learned about this from John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This is when someone tells you about a new movie or a TV show, podcast, book, video game, or any form of entertainment, then some says something like, oh, you just gotta see it. And now you feel anxious because you still have five books you want to read, two TV shows, three video games, ten movies, and one podcast before you can even think about adding something to that list. And I never realized I dealt with this until I read it in the book. In order to deal with it, I have to allow myself to be alright with not seeing the new show, playing the new game, or reading the new book. Which, as a hopeful future author, kind of hard. Because I understand not everyone will want to read my books, and I'm learning to be at peace with that. And once I release this idea of entertainment anxiety, I feel better. I'm reclaimed through tranquility. But you know, it's time to talk about the big kahuna. Since March of 2020, we have seen anxiety become even more commonplace. The world pandemic known as COVID-19 seems to come out of nowhere and shut the whole world down for months. Every cough, every sneeze, every nose sniffle, every news release about case numbers, every fever, and whatever else you want to put on that list puts us all on edge. We washed our hands a hundred times a day, we disinfected our counters, we used hand sanitizer all over our body. Okay, maybe not that bad, but you get the idea. My anxious feelings were amped up because Naomi was two months pregnant when COVID first hit. I wanted to protect her so our son could be protected. I remember feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. I had to disable Facebook from my phone because it felt like I was seeing bad news all the time and it was just bad news and bad news and bad news and honestly, I'm glad I did. I still have it disabled unless I want to do something on there, so I go and enable it again, but when I'm done, I disable it so that it can't take away and give me that anxiety. But my anxieties, I'm sure there were many others as well, was skyrocketing through the roof. I wasn't calm. I was panicky. I wasn't tranquil. I was stressed out. I needed God to reclaim me. I will never abandon you. I don't recall how I found this passage. It may have been the verse of the day in the Bible app again, and sometimes I feel like God changes the verse just so he can speak to me. But in the midst of my anxious turmoil, I read Psalm 91. Verses 9 to 11 really stuck out to me. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Now God doesn't always spell things out for me quite like that, but it was like a bag of bricks was lifted off my shoulders. I was able to breathe easier. I was becoming more calm, more tranquil. However, I want you to notice something. It's a very important word. If. If I make God my refuge and my shelter, then no evil will conquer. It means I have to decide to act. I have to make God my refuge. I have to look to him for tranquility. Too often we want God to take away our anxiety without us actually taking refuge in God and his ways. You don't get fit by sitting on your couch and eating a bag of chips every night. You get fit by working out your muscles. It's the same idea with God. You want your anxiety to be reclaimed through tranquility? Take refuge in God by following him and his way of life. 
What about money? Do you get anxious about money? There's a passage in the book of Hebrews which deals with anxiety and connection to money. And if you grew up in the church, it's probably one you've heard before, but I doubt you knew it was talking about finances. Hebrews 13, 5-6 from the New Living Translation says this, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. The author of Hebrews borrowed this idea from Deuteronomy 31, where Moses told Israel that God would never leave them nor forsake them. Applying this idea to money gives it a whole new meaning. If you're like me, you can get anxious about your finances. How will we pay for this? Where will the money come from? If only we could stay above this buffer zone, everything will be fine. I know for me, I need to find refuge in God when those anxious thoughts come. In His way of life, we are called to trust Him for our future, not our financial stability. This obviously doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise with our money. You absolutely should. Remember though, money isn't your savior. Jesus is. He is telling us not to be anxious or place our faith in our finances. Instead, our faith must be placed in Jesus as we find refuge in Him. This brings tranquility. And I'd be remiss not to discuss Philippians 4, 6-7. Again, if you grew up in the church, I'm sure you've heard it multiple times before. So one, once more won't hurt. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There's a lot to unpack in those verses. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to pray when we become anxious. As soon as the anxiety hits, turn to God. It doesn't mean it's going to disappear automatically, but it will begin the process of healing. Paul also tells us what to do when we pray. He says, tell God what we need and thank him for all that he has done. This is important. You may be thinking, why do I need to tell God? Shouldn't he already know? He does. But if you look at different stories in the gospel, before Jesus heals someone, he often asks them a form of, what do you want me to do? You see, we have to voice our need. We have to openly admit our anxiety so Jesus can take it. And then we are to thank him. This is an act of faith. We thank him for what he's done in the past and what he will do in the future. And just like if is important from Psalm 91, the word then is important here. It's only after we tell God and thank him that we will experience God's peace in our mind about anxiety. Now please don't be confused. This isn't a magic trick. If you do step one and two, then three will happen. It's better to understand it as a cause and effect. By telling God and thanking him, you will experience a calm in your anxiety that will help you overcome it. And the last part of this passage is a beautiful promise. As we live in Christ, his peace will guard our hearts and minds. As we continue to be reclaimed by God, his peace, which passes all understanding, will reign in us. A peace that destroys our anxious thoughts. A peace that makes life livable. A peace peace that keeps us calm in the craziest of life's storms. A peace that declares with boldness, it is well with my soul. Even though you may be in the midst of financial problems or marital issues or children rebelling against you, a physical sickness that doesn't seem to go away, or maybe a mental problem you can't seem to shake, stress from school or work or the death of a loved one. It is a peace that God uses to reclaim you through tranquility.
remaining calm. Remember how I mentioned that they didn't know what caused my pancreatitis back in 2018? Fast forward to September 2020. My anxiety was already out of whack due to COVID and my stomach started acting up again. I was trying not to be anxious, but the pain wouldn't go away. I went to the hospital and bam, it was happening again. They took my blood and my triglycerides were 14. Turns out, my family struggles with high triglycerides on my father's side. We also struggle with IBS, or also known as irritable bowel syndrome, from my mother's side. It's such a great combination. Thankfully, with the help of my doctor, I'm on a pill to help lower my triglycerides, and I'm managing my IBS. I try to exercise more, and I've changed my diet to help my body out. And really, this is the hardest part, because I really enjoy food. I love pizza. I still eat it, just not as often as I once did. But still, there are days when my anxiety takes over when it comes to my stomach. Even this past Sunday, I was feeling a bit uncomfortable, and I almost let my anxiety win the day. I've always, I've also felt anxiety creep in this week about COVID and money, especially in our area where COVID cases have an uptick. But as I did, I reminded myself about the chapter I was writing. This helped bring my anxiety into perspective. I knew this was an opportunity for me to let God reclaim me through tranquility, and he did. And even as I typed this, I feel the twinge in my stomach, and I had to stop and pray to remain calm. But it was also lunchtime, so I'm hungry. But you see how easy it is for anxiety to take over? God wants to reclaim every part of our lives. He wants us to hand over all of our fears, our anxious thoughts, and worries to Him. He wants us to admit them openly and thank Him so He can give us a peace in our lives that will exceed all of our expectations. I know the struggle of anxiety. Maybe not as well as some of you do, but I do understand. I know how it can keep you awake at night and dominate your mind throughout the day. I know how it makes you sick to your stomach. I know how it can put you on edge. I know how it can drain you of energy. I know how it can make you want to break down and cry. I hope you realize this chapter is not a guide to avoiding anxiety. No, the anxiety will come. This is more a guide to help you remain calm when the anxiety arrives. Jesus understands all of our anxieties, and he asks us to hand them over to him. It's only when we truly surrender our fears, our worries, and our anxieties over to Christ that we can experience the calm of tranquility in our lives. The fears, the worries, the anxieties are still there. But they don't control us. They don't drive us insane. This takes self-discipline. It isn't a one-time ordeal. And here's a way we can start the process. When the anxiety comes, one, stop. Stop whatever we are doing, within reason. If we're in the middle of traffic, I wouldn't advise you turning off your car right then and there, but I would suggest you find a parking lot to stop at and take some time. Stopping is important. We want to focus on what we are anxious about. The only way to do that is to not be distracted. Two, name the anxiety. Figure out what we're anxious about. Narrow it down as much as we can. This may may take more than a minute or two. We may find we're anxious about one thing, but it's connected to a much bigger issue. We want to deal with the bigger issue. Three, pray and hand it over. This is where the rubber meets the road. We can't be reclaimed through tranquility if we skip this part. Whatever we named in the previous step is now what we hand over to God in prayer. All parts of it. 
If we're anxious about finances, hand over our fears about going broke, our worries about not being able to pay bills, our anxiety about not having a certain threshold in our account, or whatever else may exist. Hand it all over. Four, give yourself grace. Understand we may not always do it perfectly, and that's okay. I'm sure we know by now, but being reclaimed isn't about being perfect. We will mess up. We will spend minutes, hours, days lost in our anxious thoughts before we start with step one. Allow those times to happen. It's how we will grow and become more like Christ. It's all part of the experience. And five, keep handing it over. We may hand it over in the morning and then by supper we feel the anxiety slipping back in. Repeat steps one to four again. We need to train our minds in this way and eventually it will become easier to hand over our anxieties to God. It will be what we want to do, not what we think we should do. We don't have to let anxiety control our lives. We can let God reclaim us through tranquility. Thank you for joining me this week on Reclaimed and digging into a beautiful promise. How is God speaking to you today? How is he trying to help you deal with your anxieties? I encourage you to let someone know how he did. Being reclaimed by God only works when we're open with ourselves and with others. And may the Lord be with you this week. I'm looking forward to having you join me next week, which is our final week, as we learn about a different approach. Hanei Akhmatov, my friends. We will see you soon. Some resources that connect with this chapter, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado, and The Anxious Christian by Rhett Smith. I've also included the links in the description for this podcast from the Canadian and U.S. websites about anxiety. Have a good week. Thank you.